arguably man's first and perhaps his biggest feat of genetic engineering, corn. Hey, 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 you guys. We're here for another dynamic episode on Unrefined Podcast. And today we have our esteemed co-host, Lindsay. Lindsay, how you doing, brother? Hey, guys. Doing well. What you drinking this morning, Lindsay? Tea or coffee? Tea. Uh, I'm a tea guy in the morning these days. Yeah. And our other esteemed co-host, Brandon Wallace, that goes by BT. So how you doing, BT? Hey, hey, doing well. Good. What you drinking this morning? Coffee or tea? Oh, I got my coffee. Mmm. Yeah, I'm kind of a mixture of both of y'all. I kind of go back and forth. I'll do tea for a season and then coffee. And tea's tea's better on my stomach a lot of times. So, but uh, yeah, that's 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 for and, and the out the caffeine is a lot lower even in black tea. Yeah. Um, so it just not and have my eyes ready to pop out of my head like coffee often does yeah yeah so today you guys we have a great show lined up for you we're going to dive deep into some mayan lore and we're going to talk about the origin of some interesting things and we're just going to um kind of connect some dots related to some biblical things that we believe that are connected and uh you know some of it's speculation but some of it's pretty empirically provable so I'll let Lindsay start us out and get us going down this rabbit hole. Okay. Go ahead, yeah. Well, this all started for me, man, probably, what, 15 years ago, I want to say, when I read this book by Charles C. Mann, 1491, New Revelations of the Americas Before Columbus. I've heard of that book. Did they make a movie out of that? I don't think so. Okay. Um, Not to my knowledge, but it's... He just looks, a big part of it is much larger populations than, than he thought, than, well, than were previously thought. That's one of the arguments he tries to make in here. And Yeah, it's uh, millions. There are millions of people across the area, yeah. not thousands. Well, yeah, I mean, man, we'll get into them, but Tenochtitlan was, I mean, I, th- I believe it was the biggest city in the world at the time. <laughs> and I think Mexico City still might be. Um, but yeah, it's something in particular, even back then, really jumped out at me. And it was just his uh, treatment of corn in here, or maize. Um, because, yeah, yeah it, I think for American English, corn is just... His treatment of corn, um, just... I don't know, I was really fascinated by it. Just this idea that this really weird plant... That's closest wild relative, Teosinte, is like nothing like it. Um, it has like these separate kernels, and each kernel has this really hard husk around it that would like break your teeth. You got to break it open. I think it can be popped, similar to popcorn, but hmm. it's hard for humans to eat. Yeah. I think it's used as fodder for animals sometimes. Um, and interestingly enough, the Nahuatl word it comes from means something like God corn. It's, it's like Teo, the word for God, and I think Sintli, 
the word for a dried ear of corn. So wow. that may be an interesting clue there. Um, but yeah, it, it can't, and, and I want to nuance this a little bit because BT made it an important point that organisms depend on each other. I'm not saying no organisms depend on each other at all. Corn does so in a, in a way, depends on humans in a way that I'm just not aware of any other plant. Um, yeah, modern, modern, modern. Corn, yeah. 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 It, it's, it just, if you don't take that husk off and put it in the ground, it, it can't reproduce basically. Um, so yeah, this weird plant. And corn, it, corn doesn't just, the, um, the kernels don't just fall off the cob. You actually have mm-hmm. to run it through yep. um, some kind of machine, some kind of technology is needed. Yeah, to... wheat, wheat and other things have this sort of shattering ability. Well, down here in the south, yeah. we, we have wild boars that, that take care of that sort of, but, you know, they weren't in abundance of population back a long time ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and boars are not going to run around planting rows of corn. No. Exactly. Exactly. But so, yeah, there's this weird plant and the closest relative. And there was a huge debate over this. There were uh, scientists just really went to war over it, basically, because some thought it must have been some hybrid. Others thought, no, it was just genetically engineered from this Teosinte. But no missing links that we're aware of. Now, that could be found and I could be proven wrong. And again, I'm not a geneticist or a botanist. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm even a little bit over my head in this whole discussion, but I I just thought this was interesting. Yeah. You're speculating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll just, and I'll just read this. Um, he, he quotes this woman in the book that I thought was pretty intriguing. Nina Federhoff. She says that he, he interviewed her for the book, arguably man's first and perhaps his biggest feat of genetic engineering, speaking of corn. and. Later on, she said, that's right. She said, to get corn out of Teosinte is so, you you couldn't get a grant to do that now because it would sound so crazy, she added. Somebody who did that today would get a Nobel Prize if their lab didn't get shut down by Greenpeace, I mean. I thought that was funny. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, Are you about to unpack what that means? What do you well, mean? Her comment there, what what did she mean? Why would it be so hard? I mean, are you about to talk about why it would be so hard? Yeah, it's just it it's it's just it would be difficult to do today with our technology. Oh, okay. I get where you're going. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, how how did these people in ancient times do this? Um and it look, it could be as simple as there was a weird Teosinte mutation and humans just stumbled upon it. Well, but <laughs> And separated it. Well, on this show, we we believe Occam's razor a lot of times. The easiest, the yeah. easiest explanation is the, and that's not an easy explanation. I mean, let's be honest. No, it is yeah. not. And because, as far as I can tell, Teosinte, they, the main thing that was consumed from that was the stalks. The people like to chew on the, the straws, basically. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, they didn't. It didn't seem to be an edible. Uh, grain harvest yeah. because of the difficulty in consuming, but you could pluck a teosinte uh, grass and suck on the stalk, and it's pretty sweet, kind of like cane sugar. Oh wow, mm. cool! That's really cool. Yeah, but yeah, so you know, very strange plant. Again, 
and no missing link between this plant and what we have today as corn. And so later on, years later, you know, I, I start reading a little bit more into what we call Aztec and Maya. The Aztecs were a last in a long line of Nahuatl speaking groups that moved into the, the Valley of Mexico there. And, um, but they spread that, you know, they borrowed a lot of the mythology mm -hmm. and we know that that doesn't mean all of it's not true. <laughs> uh, also doesn't mean all of it is true. Like, yeah. We need to keep that yeah. one in mind Balance. as well. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it, and, and read about, you know, started reading their um, creation stories and, Again and again, you see this figure, uh, the the Aztecs and the Toltecs before them called him Quetzalcoatl, uh, which means the feathered serpent, plume serpent. Really, it just means Quetzal serpent because a Quetzal is a specific bird they have in mind. It's a plume. exotic bird. Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful bird. If you ever look at pictures yep. of them, you get these. Really Must be a peacock. Beautiful green feather. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. you just see him pop up in different places, and he really goes back to the Olmecs, the earliest civilization. There's a Stella 15, or Monument 15, hold on, let's see here. Monument 19. Yeah, it's got this figure wearing like a jaguar helmet, and he's sitting kind of on the belly of a feathered serpent with a rattle. He's got this sort of almost handbag-looking thing in his hands. Um, yeah, what is that handbag? Possibly. I, mean, I know it's a rabbit hole. Hey, my unrefined friends. I just wanted to tell you guys that I am so thankful that you are my life. Some of our best fans uh, have been writing to us, and, and I, I just so encouraged about how lives are being transformed and people are getting something out of this podcast. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing this is to glorify Jesus and to just look at the world and have a, a more open view of the seen and the unseen and the supernatural in the world. So while we're doing that, we're going to handle all different kinds of topics. But see, what I'd like for you to be involved in or part of is our members only group things that are coming in our members only group that are going to just blow your mind not to mention there's going to be episodes in there that you won't be able to hear just on the normal episode channel so make sure to visit our website at unrefinedpodcast.com and check out our members only community i just can't stress the fact that you know we're after building a community and there's there's so much out there you guys and there's so much coming i really believe we need to build these strong communities of christ followers to to be able to handle what might be coming in the in the future days we're sure that you'd be a good fit and we cannot wait i can't wait to see you there What is that hand? Everybody talks about the, well, yeah. Everybody talks about the handbag. Bag, yeah. The middle the the Middle Eastern ones might have been pails, water pails. Um but I don't think they had metal pails in Mesoamerica. No. Um so too too many too many stories. Uh, we we have a lot of indigenous American stories about their creator gods having a pouch yeah. as part of their creating 
mm-hmm. plant life, animal life, etc. Yeah. And so, uh, from what I've found from you know authors like Graham Hancock to yeah. you know all those other guys, they they seem to say that it's basically just a symbol of creation. Interesting. So when we see that when we yeah. see that handbag in different hieroglyphs or, or not hieroglyphs, but different drawings or engravings, it, it's some sort of some yeah. sort of sort of creation going on generally, right? That's what it yep. seems yeah. to be. I mean, that's going to be the Occam's razor. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, he's carrying one of those bags. He's sitting on the belly of this sort of coiled or, or upraised feathered serpent, almost like it's a boat or a vehicle of some sort. There's two birds up at the top around this basket with a lid on it. That's one of the earliest depictions of the feathered serpent there. It's uh, Olmec uh, Monument 19 in Le- the Laventa site in Tabasco. So yeah, he, he goes all the way back to the Olmecs. And the classic Maya, I mean, it, it's everywhere. There's this thing called the Vision Serpent that was used for like conjuring or, or basically he would appear when you bled yourself into this bowl and, and, and conjured to conjure up an ancestor or something. He would emerge. A lot of the artwork shows him emerge like human faces emerging out of his mouth. Um, and yeah, he's a plume serpent. So you're talking about the, um, you're talking about the statue. Isn't that one down in, that's the one on display in the Mexico city museum, isn't it? Which one? The the old one where we get the feathered serpent from uh, the Olmec. Uh, it is in I, I think it may be in Berlin now. Okay. Um, yeah, or no, it's in the London Museum now. Oh, I think. Museum. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah, they have a lot of. I'll have to look at it. Over the okay, no, currently located at the. Okay, no, it is in Mexico City. Okay. Museo Nacional de Antropología. Anthropo- Apologia. Um Yeah. This is basically just uh I mean not to minimize the significance. It's it's a serpent that has a plume of feathers on it. And yeah. this goes back to the, the Olmecs and then later Aztecs uh call it uh Kotzkotl, and then the Mayan call it the Kukulkan. And gu- well yeah, the the Quiche, the Guatemalan Maya use the name Gukamats. That's the name in the Popova. It's it's interesting gotcha. how they had different names for them in different places. But there was an earlier cla- um, serpent, sometimes called the Vision Serpent, that you see in classic Maya. Because I mean, we'll, we'll probably get into it later, but the post-classic Maya, including the Quiche, who wrote the Popova, had been influenced by the Toltec and were possibly started by Toltec refugees. So on the one hand, the Toltec, version of Quetzalcoatl really kind of spreads and in the post-classic era. But he's still you still see him all over the artwork. Um, this lintel 15 um, from Yakshilan. It's an old po- post-classic, or no, classic Maya site. Okay, so it shows Lady Waktun. She was the wife of a ruler. And she's got this bowl in her hand with paper in it. And there's a bowl in front of her with paper scrolls in it, presumably with her blood on them. And this feathered serpent is emerging up out of the bowl and out of its mouth, this human figure, which 
almost looks kind of like the tonsured maze god um a little bit some uh, you know it, the tonsured maze god has that same sort of head shaved back um look like that but yeah so the maya used a, a feathered serpent for sort of conjuring all right divination i have purposes. a question guys um and, and, and correct if this is not the time for it we're going to talk about this later correct me but does the plume serpent does that have perhaps a similarity to the Mesopotamian and even the Hebrew in the biblical things of seraphim being uh is there well, sure. okay all right are we are, yeah, are we, we going to get into that uh, later we can give some yeah well yeah we could talk that about may be it. a better episode one of these days but um well the interest the symbols the symbolism of the the wing you know the plume serpent is this uh ability that it could fly up to the heavens yeah but it's a serpent so it's also part of the earth yeah it's got you got heaven and earth kind of combined in this symbol interesting They're almost like a yeah is it bipedal like, what is, is, it, is it bipedal or does it crawl no, no it's a it's a it's a serpent. okay it's just regular yeah. old slithering snake okay. yeah okay crawls on its belly but can also fly and it's also an aquatic animal too interesting in a lot of the depictions as like, well so he's 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 everywhere like maybe even a, a, <laughs> he's pervasive a leviathan connect connection well, I mean, there you know it's got a lot of connection between the the asiatic versions of dragons too the yep. the, the stuff that you mm, might find out of china, china yeah 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 yep. but but yeah i'm mostly focused just on the central american stuff well, for right well, can, now. Can but... I can I tell a story though? I, I think this is significant. Go for, for it. For years, and Lindsay knows about this. So I don't know if I've told BT or not, but uh for years, like almost twenty some odd years, I've been having a reoccurring dream of a dragon, a red dragon coming on the Pacific coast where the United States, if for, for those mm-hmm. listeners who don't know it, for coming on the Pacific coast and enveloping the West Coast out there of this red dragon. But what's interesting about it is it's not a red dragon in the traditional sense, what you call the European dragon or the Dungeons and Dragons type dragon. It was always a, like a water serpent type dragon, which was more Asiatic, like y'all were talking about. So anyway, yeah. I just want to throw that out. Well, there. Yeah, there, there is one called like Nuwa or something like that, that came up in some of my research. That's very similar to the, the feathered serpent. Um, it was an academia article, but hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's something you you could even say medieval dragons are very similar yeah. to, to this uh, feather. They're, they fly, but they're also reptiles. Yeah. I mean, basically, what you got the, the symbolism wise is this kind of walking axis mundi, this place where heaven and earth meet. And that's this, good. This yeah. feathered serpent figure, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's shared across the world in a lot of yep. different ways, from the oh, Kundalini yeah. of India to yep, yep, yeah, exactly. It's like that going back to Eden. I mean, that's the goal: go back to Eden, go back to that that Axis Mundi, that that way of life that that they, yeah. Yep. Anyway, I'm sorry. Well, and yeah, well, the the tough part is, or this the the frustrating part is, we know that Christ is the walking Axis Mundi. This this is a yeah, this is a counterfeit. Yeah. yeah, he he's the place where heaven and earth meet, where the angels descend and ascend. It's almost like he's the new um, Eden. I never thought about that before, but Christ yeah, is the yeah. personified so, new then, Eden. Anyway, but anyway, yeah. So yeah, you see this feathered serpent and this being emerging out of its mouth. That's a common theme in the the Mayan artwork, classic Maya, and later post classic Maya. Um, would have Kukulkan coming up 
out of this bowl like that. Um, when 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 they started using the term cuckoo con, which is a rough translation of feathered serpent, um, gukamats is actually a more literal um, quetzal serpent translation that they use in Popova. But anyway, yeah. So I just I just started reading into this feathered serpent figure recently, and you know I, I it was and how many months ago did 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 we say we would do this? I can't oh, even remember. It, it, it's been about three months, bro. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, well, why couldn't we do it? I was interested in it. I'm like, you know, strike while the iron's hot as far as me being interested in something. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just started reading it and um, I've got lots of books. <laughs> Some of them of different values as far as uh, I did find one this one book by this Frank Diaz guy. He's like this neo shaman who like treats the man Quetzal. Well, there's no difference between the man and the god for him. It's an incarnation. Um, but yeah, interesting. You know, I, yeah, I, I think found lots uh, of books. <laughs> there's a really good one for the Popol Vuh out there uh, by mm-hmm. Alan Christensen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one that I've read through the sacred book of the Maya, the great classic Central American spirituality. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I went cheap on that one and just used the online version. Well, of course. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and, and I found a book, uh, by a guy named Enrique Florescano, uh, and he's got a lot of comparative mythology with like Tammuz. Tammuz goes into the underworld and things like yeah. that. But, um, yeah, that's what Brandon was talking about with the uh, the Middle Eastern kind of cross yeah. seeming to be uh, spawned from an Ur civilization or an Ur myth. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know why someone doesn't do some kind of a tome like the DDD book that that has like comparative comparative deities throughout the world and and all their similarities. Yeah. I mean, that would be like a lifetime undertaking probably, but that, yeah, that would, that would so. be an incredible resource for, for, you know, stuff. So anyway, the, uh, the DDD, that's the dictionary of demons and devils. Yep. Or yeah. Whatever yeah. In the yeah, that big, huge thing that you, it costs, it's pretty costs big, like a thousand dollars to buy or something. I don't know. It's just not yeah. that much, but oh, yeah. above my pay grade. Anyway, it ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. <laughs> it ain't cheap yeah, because they don't print it anymore. Yeah. But yeah, one of the main things I found, I just wanted to go back to some primary sources, right. was the. It's called the Codex. Uh, I'm gonna have to read this one because it's difficult. Yeah, I have trouble with a lot of these names too, Brandon. You are not only yeah. Well, I have trouble with common names that French, Spanish, well, not Spanish, but French and other stuff, you know, so. Yeah, the Codex Chamal Popoca. And it contains the annals of Quahititlan, but for our purposes, the legends of the sun was was, was really helpful. Um, It just describes sort of the Toltec, because the Aztecs kind of borrowed this from a group called the Toltec. Yeah. They probably added their own things to it, but that preceded them. And well, did the, in did it, the Toltec come before the Aztec? Uh, help me out with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so. yeah. So it goes Olmec, Toltec. Yeah. 
Roughly, yeah, that's roughly as far as the that area of Mexico. Um, you got the old Mexico are actually down on the Gulf Coast down there, um, and then you got Teotihuacan. We don't know who ruled it. It's just this big mysterious city. Uh, lots of feathered serpent. There's a feathered serpent temple there, of course. And then it fell around the same time. A lot of the Mayan classic Maya cities fell. Um, and then enter these Nahuatl speaking nomads and semi nomads. One of them, they called themselves the Chichimex. It's interesting. Yeah. Chichimec was like this term that meant barbarian. Really? It was a term that they used for generally people that came from the north were nomadic hunter-gatherers. It means something like people of the dog. Well, but that's significant because, you know, we have uh, actually empirical evidence that there were some... There's been an excursion over here of semi you know, European people earlier and all that kind of stuff, it makes you wonder if that, if that's what they were talking about. And and what's interesting to me is the whole juxtaposition of, of, of these people calling someone else savage. I'm sorry, I'm not being racist or anything remotely like that, but, you know, the Aztecs and Toltecs, and I mean, they were pretty, their religion was pretty, pretty yeah. vicious, you know, and for them to have barbarians, it makes you wonder what the barbarians were like. Well, yeah. But yeah, Toltec is supposed to be the opposite of that. It's like artisan, builder, oh, cool. civilized. So it was used before that. They would they applied it to the people of Teotihuacan, not because they were the same ethnic group, but because they were the ultimate civilization to them. Mm. To the point where some of them viewed Teotihuacan as sort of the place where the gods created the universe or something like, like they're that. Like their Eden. Yeah, um, but yeah, so the the Toltecs, but the Toltecs, you know how like you have this thing where you know we can call our thing ourselves this insulting term, but you outsiders can't call us that. Well, the Toltecs were like that with the term Chichimec. They they called themselves the Chichimecs because they they remembered their their humble past hunter gatherers, um, led by a guy named Mishkoatl, the Cloud Serpent who was the father of the man Quetzalcoatl, who we'll get into later, um, that he was probably one of the leaders that led them kind of into this valley of Mexico and conquered lots of places under the under a deerskin banner. He had a, he had a deerskin sort of flag. And uh, so, yeah, the Aztecs were the last, they called themselves the Mexica. They didn't really call themselves the Aztecs. Um, that's where the term Mexico comes oh, from. Oh, Mexico. Okay. I think Spanish call it Mexico, but yeah, the Nahuatl translation is Mexica. Mexica. Hmm. And yeah, the Aztecs sort of inherited. They they viewed themselves as the successors of the Toltecs. So their create their creation story kind of borrowed some things and and added. I'm sure added some things of their own. But anyway. They viewed creation as different suns, different eras yeah. with uh, different suns. And you mean sun, you mean S-U-N, not S-O-N, right? Uh, yes, S-U-N, yeah, yeah S-U-N. 
Yeah, because Brandon brought up this Garden of Eden idea, and there's there doesn't seem to be a similarity really between what the Judo Christian worldview would would see a Garden of Eden oh, no. in the Aztec or the Mayan mythologies. It's the Apovu uh, focuses more on the creation of of mankind, yeah, and yeah, not where they were created, yeah, yeah. That was which is a whole lot different. Well, that's yeah, that's really interesting. You bring that up because it just shows you the different viewpoints of the different cultures. Because I read something this week, somebody was basically saying. Israel is a, is about people, not about land. And I'm like, no, no, no. You have no understanding of of Middle Eastern. Everything's about land. I mean, that. I mean, yeah. the whole thing. I mean, even the the guy who didn't want to be baptized in in one river, he wanted to go to another river, and he carried the land of Israel with him back. Yep. You know, and so land is extremely yep, he understood the importance. Yeah, land is extremely important in in Middle Eastern stuff. Yes, it's, it's it's why we're exploring this because it's it's cultural understanding. We're we're exploring these cultures mm-hmm. to help us, you know, foster some understanding and empathy about where they come from. Yeah, you know, it gives us a perspective to look through someone else's eyes for a little while. Well, and, and we have a tendency when we don't understand people to demonize them, and we need to we need to understand that these people were doing the best they could in the fallen world and with, with revelation. Yep. And that's why I think revelation is so important And that, you know, I mean, I'm going to do a little plug here. That's why I'm a missionary is, is people need to have the true revelation. They need to have an understanding of it. But to do that, you have to have an understanding of what God has revealed, even through their alternate views of the world and cosmology. I mean, God's review, he's revealed himself in all these yep. cosmologies. It's obvious to me. And you know we can we yes. can use that as a bridge to to show them if we have knowledge of this anyway. Uh, I'll stop rambling. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, that makes that makes complete sense because you know millions of people may stop following Christ in one part of the world, and then through some means of the Heavenly Father, God creates yep something, and millions pick it up in somewhere well, else. I mean, we that's that's a historical well, thing. Yeah, right? look, yeah. look. I mean. Y'all, you guys, you know this. I mean, this is common knowledge, and our listeners probably, they need to know this. Africa, particularly northern Africa, which is majority Muslim now, was the hotbed of, in a good way, of Christianity. I mean, Augustine was was African. I mean, it's like that whole area was like almost as as prominent as the Middle East. And now it's, it's, you know, there's, there's very little Christianity there other than underground. Anyway. Yeah. And so, yeah, it changes... Well, yeah, the legends of the sun. Yeah. So, so they viewed things in terms of a new sun, S-U-N, being created. Right. And each time there was this new sort of attempt at making something like human beings. Hmm. Yeah, they first tried to make humans from mud. Yeah. And then well, that fails. Yeah, well, in the legends of the sun. Which sun was that? Where they made with the well, mud. Well, that's more Popova. That's more right. Popova. Okay. Um, okay. Popova is less about suns and more about just the story of creation. Yeah, the the, the story. Okay. But Legends of the Sun. Um, the first sun they created um, was called the Jaguar. Uh, the four Jaguar and. Um, Whatever reason, the people there offended the gods, so they sent jaguars to eat them. <laughs> hmm. And then the second son 
was called Four Wind, and people were blown away and turned into monkeys in that one. Um, the thir- third son, this is the interesting one, was called Four Rain. And uh, actually, no, the third one. Yeah, this is different. Uh, yeah, the third one was rain. Yeah. yeah, they rain fire down on them. Okay, fire. I got ahead of myself there. And humans are turned into birds. Yes. The fourth son was f- called Four Water. Um, and this is the one where there's a huge flood and everybody's drowned. And the ones that weren't drowned are turned into a fish. Mm-hmm. And also, there were two survivors. Tescatlipoca comes down and warns this man named Tata and his wife Nene to build a boat so that they can survive the flood. So it's interesting. You've got these two survivors. Um, But when the waters come down and they decide, hey, let's cook some fish, they use a fire drill to make a fire. They smoke up the heavens. It offends the gods. Tescatlipoca comes down and rebukes them and takes their heads off and puts it where their rear ends are and turns them into dogs. Dog man. (laughs) Dog man. (laughs) And so we're in the the fifth son then. The the fifth son is basically the current age, right? Yeah, yeah, we're in the fifth son. So yeah. And this is the bones and blood age, right? No, this is the one where humans are created from maize. No, no, that's the Popol Vuh. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The fifth. Th- this is the legends of the sun. Yeah. Okay. Um, the f- the fifth sun, and and there's another Mayan account that I'm going to use as kind of a tie-in there at the end. But, uh, so yeah. I just thought it was interesting. You do have this couple who survives, but in their story, they offend They're the gods and get turned into dogs. So you almost got this repudiation of the line of Noah here. Hmm. In favor yeah. of this other line we're going to see here. So yeah, the fifth son, they're like, oh, what do we do? We've killed all the, the humans. So they send Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent. He's less a top-tier god in this and more just kind of a culture hero kind of uh, thing here. He goes into Miklan, the underworld. Is he like a mighty man or something? Could he be like a, 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 a Nephilim? No, Nephilim? I think he's completely basically yeah, I mean, Elohim. I don't think yeah, he's yeah. Okay, any. okay. Well, yeah, but he acts more. He he he's got more of the, also that culture hero thing going on in this one. Uh, in the Popol like Vuh, Hercules. Okay. In, in the Popol Vuh, he he's more of a just a, the Gukamats is more. You, he's not as involved, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. He doesn't get sent on missions here. So he gets sent into the underworld to steal the bones. Now, mm-hmm. these bones can only come from the previous people destroyed in the flood and other places, though there's a work by a Franciscan, I think, Andre Teve, called the... I wasn't able to find it, but there was a footnote here from the Histoire du Machique, who's a Frenchman, mm-hmm. that says that these were the bones of the giants. So that's a possibility. Interesting. That might uh, be because it's a translational word. Yeah. In that in that particular text, the word probably translates into giant. Mm-hmm. So we could either have the same kind of thing with Gigantes where we have giants, or they could be those born of the earth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah, be. Because Gigantes can also mean earth born. Right. Wow. Yeah. But 
Okay, so yeah, he goes into the underworld and goes before the the Lord of Death, and he says, hey, I want to get these bones out. And initially they tell him, yeah, but all right, well, you have to blow on this conch horn and but but it was solid there was no hole in it so well he gets he gets animals or something to bore it out so that and then gets bees to to make air rush through it so that he does it without actually blowing on it himself so initially they tell him yeah take the bones and all the while he's got his nahol that's shalotl the dog-headed god Mm -hmm. Um, for you dog man folks out there, there's, there's your little thing there. But yeah, Shalotl is sort of a Nahal. He's a spirit twin. So you've got twins going into the underworld here. Hmm. Um, on his way out, the, the Lords of Death get mad and we're like, oh, why, why'd we let him do that? And they, the, so they send Quail to attack him. He drops the bones and gets them mixed up and breaks some of them. Uh, some view that as that's why humans are imperfect. Yeah. Okay. Stop there. That that's where I think it is significant with the word, like we were talking about earlier, of, of gigantes, which is Greek for giants. Mm-hmm. That it's more than just people of the earth, I, because there's an emphasis yeah. on height in that in that area of the story. Because I read I read yep. somewhere that that that's why people were different heights because the bones broke. Mm-hmm. So that's yep. that, that kind of yep. implies that the people weren't different heights before and they were probably giants so anyway i I just i'm I'm just throwing my two cents in there so no yeah no that's that's perfect yeah that is is a perfect that is a good point so yeah he takes them up to um to moanchan kind of this mystical god realm heaven type place where they are ground into powder and yeah, sorry. This is Grown Folks podcast. He bleeds his penis into the powder. And the other gods do penance, which um, I guess they feel bad for killing all the other humans, which would have involved bleeding as well. We don't know if they bled into the bowl, but they did bleed themselves. So, And they make the first humans out of that. So far, you've got a repudiation of the line of Noah, but now you've got these new hum- this new humanity created from the blood of the feathered serpent and the bones right. of the old people of the of the of the, ancient the giants. Ones. Yeah, um, and now we enter corn. Well, they say, well, what are we going to feed these new humans? They had a some food. It's get each 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 son had a food for humans. We're given calendrical names for it, but we don't know what it is exactly. Um, it doesn't say exactly what it is. Some people speculate these were like experiments with corn that would eventually become corn and then get stored in this sacred mountain. But anyway, so Quetzalcoatl sees this ant carrying a corn kernel and asks him, hey, where'd you get that from? Well, from this food mountain, this mountain filled with, with seeds over here. So... Quetzalcoatl turns into an ant, goes and gets the corn out, tries to take the entire the entire mountain off with ropes, but that doesn't work. So he gets the Tlalucs and this figure named Nana Watson, who may be an aspect of him. The did you say the Trollocs? Talut. 
Trollocs. Trollocs. Okay, oh, thanks. Uh, think, uh, the Trollocs are from yeah, time, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I heard, too. <laughs> it, it's spelled T-L-A-L-O-C. Oh, okay. Trolloc. Yeah. It, 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 it's the rain gods. Uh, the rain gods take all the corn out. Uh, Nana Watson, this sore-covered god, this deformed, sore-covered god who becomes the fifth son in some of the uh, the other uh, accounts I read. Um, he is an aspect of Shalotl. And who, who, was, so, who was that? Shalotl is a dog-headed god. Okay, the dog-headed guy. So yeah. we've got an aspect, we've got a personality of this other entity now. Yes. <laughs> it gets, okay. can, gets your head spinning after we're, a while. We're, we're all over the place with the different mm-hmm. deities. Yes, man. It's, it's almost like uh, avatars, you know, just... You know, it, it, it's 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 like Eastern mysticism in a way. There, there's a lot of parallels yeah. there, but yeah, I think a lot of them don't 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 understand it. You know, it's not even straight right, with yeah. them. Uh, again, yeah. it's by it's by design. I yeah. think it's it's the enemy making it esoteric. Maybe he tells the truth to a, a special priesthood, but we got to keep all those rubes out of here. La confession. So we'll tell them this confusing crap. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anyway, okay, so yeah, that's the legends of the sun. We okay. end with corn as this sacred food taken out of a mountain and given to mankind. And we've got some really interesting cosmic symbolism that comes with that. Yeah. Uh, if I were to talk on that for a second. Go for it. So be, beyond the like daily life and the, the myth of, of uh, the corn and this involvement in the myth of the sun or the uh, popol, popol Vuh, and uh, the creation of man through corn. So not just in the daily life, but it seems that by creating man from from maize, mm-hmm. this is like some kind of uh, interconnectedness. Yeah, symbolizing interconnectedness between all life and this this circle of life between man and corn. Hmm. Yeah. You are correct. We're made of corn, kind of thing there. That which is that important? Well, here you? comes Mister Tinfoil Hat. All right, all right. I've been waiting. I've been. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. You know, been, I've been chomping at the bit. First thing at the yeah. there. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, okay. This is all speculation, audience, listeners, friends. There's no. There, there's no coincidence that corn is one of the biggest staples in our diets, whether we realize it or not. It is in everything. Uh, Sandy just did a, a test where she could see what she was allergic to. And she's allergic to corn, and, and she's having to choose all her different types of foods. And corn, processed some kind of way, is in almost all foods. So it's such a, there's such yeah. a preeminence. And, and that's, I don't know. Everywhere. I don't think that's a coincidence. I, I believe in very few coincidences anymore. I mean, I know there's some out there, but that's just bizarre. Uh, and, and it's actually really bad for you. And our bodies don't really, they process it, but they don't process, you know, actually, obviously the husk. Is it? No, not the husk. What is it? The kernel? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I just think there's a, there's some kind of a tie there. Like I said, this is speculation. I mean, I don't have any proof for all this, but uh, it's just something fun to think about or to kind of connect to back to that. No, it, it's hard not to see that connection. Um, 
corn is everywhere. Well, they're poisoning us with and, corn. I mean, literally, they're poisoning yeah. us with corn. And I'm not saying all corn is well, bad. Well, corn by itself is a terrible diet, and it, it gives you pellagra, amongst other things. Now, What's pellagra? They had methods... It's it, it's a it's like a vitamin deficiency. Oh, okay. It was really terrible in the South where people lived off cornbread and grits and mm. you know things like that. And in Italy, people lived off a of polenta. Oh yeah, polenta. Yeah. Uh, which which did the same thing. Now, Native Americans didn't eat it by itself. They ate it with beans and squash. Um, yeah. Which counteracted a lot of that, and they had the nixtilization process, which took that part that doesn't get digested off. So when when you take when you take grain corn, mm-hmm. uh, not, not I'm not talking about sweet corn because right. I just grew some blue corn for to make into meal. So when you take this grain corn, you've got to run it through that a process that uses basically um, food grade lime. Yeah. Right, and it's nixtamization. You you have to run. Otherwise, if you just grind it into meal and then eat it, your your body's really not going to digest it at all. Really, yeah. Which goes to show, yeah, this goes to show the running through you. (laughs) Exactly, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't help you out or anything. And so it shows that the the ancient peoples of of Mexico and South America really had something going on when they learned that they had to go through a process of using lime to Mm -hmm. wash the corn. Yep. I mean, this isn't. I mean, for it to be edible, and that's something that's very abundant in their area. Lime. So, how did they find that out? You know, I mean, I know it could have been trial and error. Well, it's the same. It's the same argument about uh, ayahuasca. Yeah, the, the the two chemical two products that make that up. I mean, you, you, no one's going around the forest and just going, "I'm going to try this vine with that leaf, yep. that berry with that bark." I mean, there's there's more going on than we yeah. We understand. Well, that goes back to the the secret knowledge of you know the 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 fallen ones that they gave to man. I mean that that shows us. I used yeah. to always wonder, even as a kid, and then when I taught school, I taught history. We get into the Native American part, you know, before the the Spaniards and the Europeans came over. How did a lot of the or or just it didn't have to even be them. It could be even early Europeans. How did they know what was poisonous and what was not? I mean, yeah, sure, you could say, hey. Hey, uh, Juan, eat this, you know, and if it doesn't, it's... well, there was a lot of animal. Yeah. Animal oh, Juan just died. So, <laughs> so we better not eat better, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, we were, if we were to talk to a scientist, they, they, but the thing is, is people observed animals, right. what animals right. they, they would eat. But the thing is, is we've got holly berries. Holly berries are completely safe for the dogs to eat. So if I'm watching my dog eat the holly berries, uh, I'm not going to eat them because they're not okay for humans right. to eat. So, so that argument kind of goes out the window yeah. really quick. Yep. But the other thing is, is we have, you know, oak trees. We get acorns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can eat the acorn nut, but you have to wash yeah, it's it gotta be do washed. this whole process. Yeah. And people had to learn how to do that process. It wasn't just an accident. Well, well yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how? Okay. So you grind up the acorn and they eat it. They, they would instantly say, oh, well, that we can't have that. That's poisonous. If, 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 but yet. Somehow, and then someone's like, "Hold on a second, it. let me wash yeah, it." Yeah, nobody few times. would come up with that. I mean, yeah, anyway, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. amazing. I mean, unless they were on shrooms <laughs> or ayahuasca, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's which, what I say. Which, I say which a lot of just, stuff, could... which just leads like, right back to the gods. There, yeah, I mean, exactly, yeah. psychedelics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right. So yeah, the popol vu, the popol the popol wa, I think it's pronounced. Um, 
the feathered serpent's still involved. There's there's some commonalities here. You've got a lot of Nahuatl words thrown in because again, there was some influence there. Gukamats is the feathered serpent, and he's more, you know, he he's more important but less involved. So yeah, you've got technically the first attempt were the animals. The animals were meant to be the worshippers of the gods, but they're animals, so they weren't doing that. They're like, well, okay. Well, that's shared across indigenous populations across (laughs) the United States itself. So, okay, fair enough. Well, you know, we'll we'll, we'll let the animals live, and we'll use them for food and other stuff. So the first attempt, uh, BT brought this up, was the mud people. Hmm. Um, but man, they just, they couldn't stay together. They dissolved. They couldn't really worship. All right. So think about, there, there's a problem with this one. The mud people didn't work. Well, what is our creation story? Mm, yeah. Like, yeah. We're, we're made from mud. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we got right. another kind of repudiation here, I think. Um, so yeah, that didn't work. The second attempt was these people made out of wood and they used divination to make this one. Um, the mother and father, Shmukane and whoever the father guy was, um, they were capable of speech, but didn't acknowledge the gods. They were destroyed by a flood. Some say a flood of resin from the sky, but they were also just attacked by animals. Some of them turned into spider monkeys says different things there. So yeah, we got another flood and another sort of we're starting over from scratch. So yeah, that was the second attempt. There's three or four attempts if you count the animals in this one. Then you got this huge interlude with the hero twins, um Hunapu and Shpilanke, which flashes back to another set of hero twins, their father and another guy, uh Hun Hunapu one blue gun uh, and seven blue gun. They go into the underworld. You, uh, Sorry, there's a lot here. This huge interlude has so much in it. It actually starts with the hero twins going and defeating this monster called uh, Vukub Kachiks, I think. Seven Macau. To have a description of the monster, was it a a serpent by chance? Um, a lot of the artwork depicts him as kind of this giant bird monster. He has jewel teeth because they get knocked out later. But whatever he is, you yeah. almost have th- this is common. Like a behemoth, okay. yeah. Well, and this is common in Native American: the hero twins defeating the monster. <laughs> uh, I was watching on Max. HBO Max, a documentary about the Navajo people training to be Navajo police. And they model themselves a lot after the the Navajo hero twins who defeat this this monster. Um, So that's a common thing. I'm sorry. When you keep saying hero twins, man, my 80s kicks back. I see the Wonder Twins activating. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) That that might be where the hero hero twin activate comes from. But yeah. Everything I read about Seven Macau has him as a kind of a giant bird demon thing. But the interesting thing is, the way it's presented is you got this being in this. This is happening during the, the before the flood. 
you got this being who rises up and says, hey, I'm glorious. I'm the sun and the moon. These wooden people need to worship me thing going on. So it's almost mm-hmm. like the fall of Satan happening here, or or even the Watchers. The fall of the Watchers is probably a better parallel in this seven Macaw and his sons, who are also defeated by the hero twins. Um, now, the hero twins and Shmukane are already experimenting with corn. They, they, they have a field of corn that they grow. She gets them to, when they're not being lazy and shooting their blowguns and playing ball, she, she tries to get them to, to work the cornfields. Um, and later, they also leave her some ears of corn and say, hey, if these die, we die. If they come back to life, we've come back to life. That's interesting. So anyway, they you got the same sort of story of twins you know, Quetzalcoatl and Shalotl, this time it's Hunapu and Shpilanke, going into the underworld. Um, one of the things they're doing is they, they want to revive their dad's skull. It doesn't work. Uh, you also got the their origin story where one of the, the ladies of the underworld, Blood Maiden, they hang the skull of the twin's father on a, like a, calabash tree down there okay so the first set of twins go into the father of these twins go into their you know they're making too much noise playing ball and the lords of death and shababa invite them down it's kind of slapstick they tell them hey sit down on those rocks there have a seat the rocks are hot they sit down and burn their butts it's stuff like that they humiliate them they beat them at ball and then they kill them and hang one of their skulls in a calabash tree. Well, one of the things they want to do is revive their dad. It doesn't work in this case, but you still got these hero twins going down to the underworld for bones here. See that? See that? Just to me, that just screams genetics. I don't know I mean, if maybe I'm wrong, yep. but that screams maybe yeah, no? like a, a pseudo form of genetics. And then, and then when you talk about sitting on a rock, well, we've come in the past few months to understand rocks in the ancient Near Eastern. Thing or, or divination uh, things, you know, like when Jacob laid mm-hmm. his head on a rock and he saw, got the revelation that it was divination. And I wonder if yeah. that's a, uh, an overlap, you know, rocks being an act of divination, so to speak, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, you got this huge interlude where, where, where we're introduced to these twins and they go into the underworld and they, you know, their grandmother is one of the creator, the mother and father creator deities at the beginning who creates the earth with the feathered serpent and some of the other gods. So you got this final attempt where the gods send animals to a sacred mountain called Pashil. Okay, we got the we got a mountain now. Okay. Yeah, they, they get the corn out. This time uh instead of bones from humans humans are just made from corn um they shmakane grinds it up and mixes it with water and they form it into people and people are made completely from corn hmm. all right so there's another book called the annals of the cockatiels another guatemalan so, maya oh, sorry go ahead so this so this what you're saying was this god basically said hey we're going to make humans into uh tamales <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gotcha. why not? Okay, that's yeah. all right. 
whatever. Yeah. Human tamales. I mean, that'd yeah. be cool. I'm down with. I'm probably just speaking because I'm hungry. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Well, yeah, I, I guess corn. I have hot sauce all over me, babies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Never been crazy about that red sauce. I just like to get the white cheese. Put yeah. On them. But yeah, yeah. There's another. There's another book called The Annals of the Cockchells. Cockchells. Sorry, that's another hard one to say. It's those Nahuatl words, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, these are this is a Mayan people in Guatemala. They have a similar story of these animals and perhaps this coyote and hawk, these two gods being sent. And they make people out of corn, but this is interesting. They mix the corn dough with the blood of the serpent and the tapir from the sea. Um, now, I couldn't make heads or tails of the tapir. Maybe that's some other god there. But but I just thought it was interesting that they mix it with the blood of the serpent uh, in, okay. in, in this version. So you've almost got both elements here. you got Quetzalcoatl's blood, possibly, or at least a serpent's blood, mixed with the corn this time to... to uh, to make humans, I just I just thought that was an interesting tie-in there, in a similar account. So it's it's a lot shorter account. It's like it was like a paragraph, and then they just get into the history of the Cachacels, this this Mayan people down in Guatemala, related to the Quiche, who wrote the Popol Vuh. So yeah, I thought that was an interesting tie-in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you've got. Multiple attempts to make humans. You've got this flood to kill them in the Legends of the Sun. You've got survivors, but they offend the gods and get destroyed. You've got people made out of mud, but that doesn't work. And finally, you've got this new humanity made from, if you you put it all together, the bones of the giants and the pre-flood people and or the pre-flood people mixed with corn and the blood from this serpent deity. And you've got this interesting sort of, for us, a repudiation of the line of Noah for this new humanity mixed with the seed of the serpent. Here. Okay. Um, I, I just, yeah. It's like you, some, uh, you like put cane. Cain stuff yeah, going serpent, on. Sort of, yeah. Nim- Nimrod. Yeah. Or... I, I don't want to get into the weird heretical yeah. serpent seed doctrine here. That That's not where I'm going. <laughs> okay. But it's fair yeah. enough. But there there is there is a seed of, of, of the serpent in some sense spoken of in the Bible. Um, yes. You yeah, know, of your father, the devil. Yeah, your father, the devil. That means something. But so, yeah, it's it makes me wonder if we didn't have a post-flood, this is my speculation, a post-flood incursion in the New World. Now, it didn't necessarily have to involve them literally mixing with the seed of men, but it could well, have I mean, been that's least... what L.A. Marzulli's whole thing is. I mean, yeah. he's on the trail of the Nephilim, and he's traced a lot of things across the the American continent. Yes. Him and Franz, Fritz Zimmerman, too. Fritz yep. Zimmerman. Yeah. Well, even if the the so-called gods just told them, "Oh, you're descended from the feathered serpent," you know that lie is still there. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, you've got this almost satanic counterfeit of this figure, near, near opposite, going into the underworld, 
um, shedding his blood to make a new humanity. Well, hey, that's what Jesus did. Yeah, true. That's our guy. Our guy did that. Yeah. So on the other hand, the right way. Yeah, this is we. The enemy overplays his hand because we can use this. We can say, well, I don't know about Quetzalcoatl, but I know Jesus, the God Man. Um, descended into death, shed his blood, and makes a hu- new humanity for whoever will put their faith in him. So, yeah. yeah. Well, or you could take the Chesterton take and just say that there are uh, there is a true mythos throughout all these different yeah, statements. Exactly. Say, there's a type of Christ, you know? Um, yeah, Jesus is the legend come true. Yes, you know? yes. Exactly. And yeah, so, yeah. I, you know, we got to talk about the man Quetzalcoatl a little bit. Okay. He was this sure. Toltec priest king of the city of Tula in Hidalgo. Um, and interestingly enough, in a lot of the accounts, he rejects human sacrifice. Now, interestingly, Kukulkan spreads down to the Maya. All of a sudden, human sacrifice is not only cool, but demanded. So, uh, but yeah, he... He's got this miraculous birth. His mom, Chamalma, this would have been, most scholars would say this is in the 900s, the 10th century mm-hmm. um, AD. Uh, his uh, mom, Chamalma, who is a goddess in some accounts, swallows a jade stone and that impregnates her. Uh, Mishkoatl, the, the cloud serpent, sort of adopts him as his son. And, you know, he becomes this huge leader, uh, rules from this place called Tula, a place of reeds. Mm. Uh, a lot of the Mayan post-classic city-states claim to come from a place called Tolan, which was ruled by a guy named Kukulkan, Nakshil, different names. But So these were either followers of Quetzalcoatl or pretenders, um, but either way. So yeah, he makes this magical state where everything's great and he doesn't do human sacrifice and he's a priest of the god Quetzalcoatl and gets conflated with him a lot. He's almost a distraction sometimes because the story is it's it's a, he he makes it hard to separate the god from this I don't want to say historical figure because I think the gods are historical too, even if some crap is made up about them. But yeah, most of the stories have it that he gets drunk and fools around with his sister or something and is disgraced. Um, The priest of Tezcatlipoca. Now, Tezcatlipoca, you got to mention him too. He is also twinned with Quetzalcoatl at times. He is, his name means the smoking mirror. And in some of the creation accounts, Tezcatlipoca and Quetzalcoatl twins go and defeat this monster. Tezcatlipoca loses his leg, using it as bait to draw in the monster. Uh, The hero twins lose an arm against Seven Macau. They get it back later. but. Um, so yeah, you got that story repeated, but yeah, Tezcatlipoca is almost like this dark mirror image of Quetzalcoatl. He's the opposite. Um, 
he takes part in the creation. They work together on things, but they're also work against each other. So the priests of Tezcatlipoca are the ones who are kind of making things hard for the man Quetzalcoatl, say a Cotl Topilson. Um and he's disgraced. He leaves Tula and goes and founds other cities, and eventually some of the legends have him burning himself and rising up to be the morning star. Interesting. Wow. Uh, others have him leaving to the west on a raft of snakes. <laughs> now, obviously, Venus existed before the 10th century AD. So right. He didn't become the morning star. Right. But you got Quetzalcoatl and the morning star linked up here. Now... We're not going to get into the Lucifer debate on this one. That may be another, but Hillel ben Shikar, um, which was translated in the Septuagint as Eosphoros, that's the morning star. Shalotl, the dog-headed god, is associated with the evening star. That's Venus as viewed in the evening. Mm-hmm. And... So yeah, you got this morning star connection with Quetzalcoatl, um, Hillel ben Shikar. So the incarnation. Do what you will with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucifer connection, perhaps whoever Lucifer was. I think people get technical about that term. It just means it, it's just talking about Hillel ben Shikar. So yeah, you know the man Quetzalcoatl is important. I think the, the, those, that story of him becoming the morning star is probably just borrowing something from the god Quetzalcoatl and giving it to him because, you know, obviously he didn't become Venus. Right. As far as him leaving on the raft of snakes, there's a temple in the city, uh, a site called Xochicalco. I believe it's in Morelos State. There's a guy associated with Graham Hancock named Marco Vagato. I saw him on the, the Netflix series and found his book. And there's a temple to the feathered serpent in Xochicalco. Um Now, this, this was destroyed. This would have been destroyed around the time the man Quetzalcoatl was born. So this was before him. Certainly before his death. It shows this writhing feathered serpent, and at what point there's this figure sitting down on one of the 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 places where the serpent kind of curls down, and it almost looks like he's sitting on a boat. I wonder. It looks a lot like that Olmec thing, almost. Um, but I wonder if that Vagado views that as not as Quetzalcoatl leaving, but Quetzalcoatl, the god, arriving to bring all this knowledge to the people in that area. So they, they so, have a knowledge or an esoteric tradition like we do in the West? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, knowledge knowledge coming from the gods. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. That, that's pretty common in everywhere uh, uh, throughout the whole world, isn't it? Esoteric knowledge. It's the idea of a divine council basically brings the knowledge to, yep. to yeah. man. Yeah. A co- Yep, and it's ones that are more. It's, it's a corto, yeah. a corto. It's a Spanish yeah. word well, hidden. And look, this is the Vigado interpreting these images. Yeah, he also thinks it looks like that. This figure is is sailing on this snake away from a flooded island. 
So, yeah. And this is where we can get the kind of goofy uh, where it's it's a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Things like yeah. that. Yeah. But that Leventa, that old mech one, I mean, it does look like he's kind of using it as as a vehicle. He's got a helmet on, you know, that that's where some, a lot of that stuff comes from. Yeah. yeah. Vigado, I'm sure, is part of the ancient aliens crowd. Yeah. But, man, you know, those guys are useful in, you know, seeing what looks more like to us, just divine counsel, um, Genesis 6 stuff. They just misinterpret it from our view. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But they also mislead, too. I mean, we have to throw that in there. They really do. They because. Yep. They because do. there's more burden of proof on proving the biblical narrative out than there is this atheistic, weird alien narrative. You know, a lot more burden of proof. Well, yeah. both of them seem to lack an empirical scientific background. I mean, you can't yeah. Yeah. sit there and go, oh, these are obviously, you're missing the empirical evidence. You know, yeah. none, none, of the, none of the ancients actually go out and say, yes, these things came from planet Neptune or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean it all requires to, faith. To be fair, it I all mean, requires faith. You know, I mean to mm-hmm. yeah. so to be fair, what to, to be to be fair, you've got the tribe in Africa that says that their knowledge came from yeah the Dogon, uh, a planet, Dogon. planet revolving around Sirius. Yeah, the Dogon mm. tribe in in Africa. But you know, it's like um, if, if we wanted to look at it scientifically. We'd say, well, where, where where's the evidence that these guys actually, you know, do you have an artifact from them? Yeah, it's... you know, and it's and so basically, any 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 time to say, well, it's worse, it's actually just humans. I mean, it's kind of a minimization of the the, the reality of the supernatural that bleeds through yes. every culture yes. yeah. through time into our present time because there's clearly people experiencing supernatural things. There are people who have visions of supernatural things, whether they're under the influence of some kind of drug or not, right. which which seems to be plenty of evidence because people, you know, otherwise court systems wouldn't take eyewitness testimony as mm-hmm. legal evidence. That's That's basically what we've got. Sure, we don't have a DNA record that Kugel Khan became man and dwelt among us. Right, yeah. Right. Well, we don't have a DNA record that Jesus became man. You know, I mean, I mean, let's. I mean, you could say the Shroud of Turin, but you know, that's that's debatable. That's yeah. To be yeah. fair, yeah, you could say the Shroud yeah. of Turin. Yeah. However, whether or not, I mean, you got twelve people who literally died. You know, one died a uh, apart from man. You know, and then you know died alone, and then you got the other ones who died horrendous, torturing deaths. Nobody dies for a myth. Yeah. Yeah. For a for a uh, for a fabrication to use yeah. a better word than yeah. myth because I think myth has truth. Yeah, it's just story. yeah, yeah, yeah. But nobody dies for a lie. Well, to me, it's amazing that 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 all these guys, even back in the eighteen, you know, the the, the nineteenth century, eighteen hundreds, came up with the whole myth, the true myth, and 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 bleed into the twentieth century with Lewis and Chesterton, and I mean, it's just it, it's like that latent. Uh, wisdom and knowledge is there it's almost uh like what jung or uh joseph campbell would call it's that uh it, it's just inside of us it's we we it's like part of our natural they would say yeah. evolutionary you know knowledge but we say revelation knowledge 
you know, so like in Romans, when Paul says, everywhere you look, you see evidence of God. And there's too many things that are inside of us that uh, latently are just there that, that we lean towards the God thing. And I was talking to uh, Tim this weekend and, and uh, we were talking about, we were doing a walk and, and I said, which takes more faith to believe that, that aliens came and, and gave us the knowledge to take frequencies and move, make the pyramids or giants built them. I mean, Occam's razor says, <laughs> says Occam's razor in a lot of ways just says, yeah, big people built them, you know? So yeah. anyway. Oh, yeah. So where do we want to land this plane guys? Where do we want to wrap all this up? Well, yeah, that, that, that's all I had. Um, but I mean, I could read you so much more. Oh yeah. I've got a pile of books here, but, but um, yeah, just, man, I just, this was a really fun one for me to, to look into, man. Just Well, we can revisit um, it later. We can go into more in depth and, and you know, revisit it later, oh, too, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, for sure, yeah. Bring in and compare it to, you know, do some comparative some comparative uh, myth mythology, sort of, if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so for, for, for listeners, they, they, they can find out more. They, there's a codex called the Dresden Codex. Yes. Yep. It's pretty useful. There's also the Chilam Ba'alam. Yep, the Chilam collection of books. And yep. we'll put that There's in the show notes. More than one of them. We'll put that in the show notes for yeah. you guys to check out and to dive Well, yeah, and the, the 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 Popol Vuh, there's free. It's P-O-P-O-L-V-U-H. There's free versions of it online. Yeah. Uh, translations. Um, and the Codex Chima... Hold on. Let me go to the library. The book is called... History and Mythology of the Aztecs by John Beerhorst. That has the the Legends of the Sun in it. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, it's another god, Maze for the Gods. Uh, another another god, another book, Maze for the Gods by Michael Blake. That's um, yeah, yeah, the Empires of Atlantis. That was Marco Vigado's book. Um, yeah, I got like. <laughs> If you want to read some nutball stuff, you just, the well, this was a good good depth into yeah. uh, some cultural appreciation. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. You know, learning sure. learning yeah. about the other culture really was awesome. Well, look, man. It's a celebrate our uniqueness. Yeah, it. the Aztecs, however they got it, I mean, they built a city out in the middle of a lake. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That right. still exists to this day and is still one of the, maybe the biggest city in the world, man. That, that's pretty amazing. I think Rio is, but yeah, uh, it's, it's one, it's in the top five. I definitely know that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. Good episode. Good episode. That was awesome. Well, thanks guys for all, everything you've done, yep. all the research and, and everything like that. And let's just, uh, just kind of wrap it up here. Thanks guys. We'll, we'll be yep. coming at you later. Audience. Enjoyed we loved, it. loved it. And, And uh, this was a great episode. Thanks for listening and supporting us. And remember, stay naturally supernatural. Supernatural.